Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. You are now listening to the Half a Bird Sports Show. Welcome to the Half a Bird Sports Show. You could have been doing anything else in the world, but you chose to ride with us, and we appreciate that. It's Solo Weekend, so I will take the wheel myself to navigate you through the sports landscape of the hottest topics, late-breaking news, things that make no sense, and a few things that might surprise you. As always, you can catch us on WMQG Radio Tuesdays and Saturdays at noon Eastern. So today, I will discuss Dak, Zeke, and Amari still ain't signed, and I don't think they will. Kobe disses Shaq, then says there's no beef come on is he for real the texas latest mistake will probably save them about 70 mil the heisman watch is back so who are the top three college players who fit the bill and iso joe is back i guess he still hasn't made it over the hill and you know we're going into labor day weekend the official start in earnest of the college football season and we are about a week away from the first nfl game on thursday night the chicago bears and the green bay packers so you would think you would think that I will be starting out with the story from either college football or the NFL, but I'm not. Because little did I know that two days prior, I would hear something so incredibly interesting and inflammatory that I would have no choice but to start my solo show this week uh, with it. Good to have you in. Half a bird sports show, solo weekends with your boy Jimmy. So none other than the Black Mamba himself, Kobe Bean Bryant, one of my favorite NBA players of all time, in a way, had some pretty interesting comments to say about his former teammate with whom he won three straight championships, Shaquille O'Neal. So speaking at the PHP convention in Las Vegas this week, uh, Kobe was asked about Shaq and brought up the big man's work ethic. He admitted that if Shaq had his kind of work ethic, Kobe could have had 12 rings during his NBA career. Of Shaq, he says this, he'd be the greatest of all time. He'd be the first to tell you that. This guy was a force like i never seen. It was crazy. Generally, guys at that size are a little timid and they don't want to be big. This dude did not care. He was mean. He was nasty. He was competitive. He was vindictive. I wish he was in the gym. I would have had 12. I would have had effing 12 rings, unquote. So Kobe said what he said. I would have won 12 championships with the Lakers and with Shaq if Shaq had not been a lazy bum, had been in, you know, and I'm speaking facetiously there, had been in the gym, had my type of Mamba-like work ethic and love for the game. So obviously, knowing Shaq, very active on social media, still one of the most famous people on the planet, nothing ever is going to get by him that involves his name. So Kobe went on to talk about some other things about how he and Shaq got into a fight once, but that actually brought him closer, uh, made him better as teammates. But of what he said in terms of Shaq's work ethic, Shaq had this to say. (laughs) And I I believe he tweeted this. Shaq's response was, you would have had 12 if you passed the ball more, especially in the finals against the Pistons. Hashtag facts. You don't get statues by not working hard. Unquote. 
So Shaq was talking about the statue that he has uh, for the Lakers out in front of the Staples Center, I believe, in the sense that if I wouldn't have that statue if I wasn't a hard worker. So to back up what Shaq said, one of their former teammates who was on that 2014 that played in the finals against the Pistons, and we don't exactly know who it is right now, had this to say. And this is coming from Jeff Perlman, who I imagine is a sports writer, and he's working on an upcoming book. He said this in a tweet. He said, interviewed a Kobe teammate for my upcoming book. We talked about 2004 finals loss to Pistons. Much blame was placed on Carmelo injury. Guy told me that loss was on Kobe. He wanted to be MVP of that series, and he just kept shooting and of note to add a little context to that during the lakers three-peat uh, between 2000 2003 uh shaq was the mvp of each one of those finals so just keep that in mind and so to close this story <laughs> uh kobe weighed in after this uh really caught fire in terms of what he said about shaq what shaq's response was kobe said that he has no beef with shaq after the comments came to light that Bryant said he could have won 12 rings if uh, Shaq would have had a better work ethic. So Kobe tweeted this. He says, there is no beef with Shaq. I know most media want to see it, but it ain't going to happen. Ain't nothing but love there, and we too old to beef anyway. Now, one of the things I respect about Kobe Bryant, and one of the things that's made him probably one of the biggest a-holes in the NBA, is that he's incredibly honest with everyone he talks to, or at least he seems that way. And therefore, he says things that nobody else would say, things that do make him look like a jerk, but oftentimes true things. So for that reason, since that's one of the things I've respected about Kobe as a person in terms of being honest, is why are you lying now? Because you don't say what he said about Shaquille O'Neal denigrating his work ethic and his love of the game and saying that basically you cost us from having nine more rings if there is no beef. You don't get to say those types of things about somebody and then say it's all love it's all respect there's no beef no that's a lie there may be no beef per se as in this isn't going to drag out because he's right they are too old for that both of those guys are in their 40s multi-millionaires legends so this type of beef really has no place in their life it should have no value but i don't believe him when he says that it's all love and respect because that wasn't a respectful thing to say and Shaq immediately disagreed in the sense that Shaq feels he did work his butt off because if he didn't he wouldn't be a four-time champion and wouldn't have a statue out in front of the Staples Center so I wish that Kobe would have stuck by sort of the spirit of what he says in the sense that okay there may not be any beef but it's not all love because this dude cost me nine more championships and I know that that's a bit hyperbolic for Kobe Bryant to say because I mean <laughs> Bill Russell won 11, but I mean, who the hell wins 12 championships? That's almost impossible to do in today's game, really in any sport, college or professional. And this isn't the first time that Kobe has kind of snaked Shaq, because you remember when the stuff came out about Kobe Bryant uh, years ago, I forget what year it was, where he had had an affair and um, he was alleged to have raped a woman in Colorado, how part of what he said in order to cover himself um, and I don't know if this came out on or off the record was that maybe he should have paid her off like Shaq pays off his women. So just totally throwing Shaq into that. Some of you may not even know that that was said around that time, but I specifically remember that being said and attributed to Kobe. So this isn't the first time he said something very sideways about Shaq that Shaq really had an issue with. And I don't blame him at all. Um, but it's funny when you think about it. And it's really interesting. Yeah, We all know that Kobe wanted to not only be MJ, he wanted to beat MJ. He wanted to destroy MJ's legacy and replace his legacy with his own as the greatest player of all time. So when he says he would have won 12 rings, I don't think that 
that's just an arbitrary number. I don't think he just came up with that on the spot. I think that that number has meaning. And Kobe is very intelligent, very meticulous, very calculated. So when he says 12 rings, immediately that made me think of he's talking about two times the rings that MJ won. MJ won six, six times two is 12. So I think that in a way, he feels like if Shaq would have been a better teammate, a harder worker, that he would have easily surpassed the legacy of MJ as dictated at least by the amount of championships that Michael Jordan won. I mean, he was obsessed with beating MJ, with destroying his legacy, with destroying the ghost of MJ. As a matter of fact, you know, Kobe's first number was number eight, and that's the Kobe I didn't like. That's the Kobe that I definitely believe was very selfish, didn't trust his teammates, and according to Shaq and his other teammate, probably did cost himself a few more championships had he passed the ball more, and that's something I never liked about number eight Kobe. But then when he changed his number to number 24 Kobe, that Kobe was more mature, was older, um, had to have a more versatile offensive game because he was kind of getting up there in age, and he was a lot more unselfish, a lot more trusting of his teammates. But if you'll notice, if MJ's number was 23, Kobe could have chosen any other number besides eight and maybe the few of the numbers that the Lakers had already retired, you know, like Wilt, Kareem, etc. But he chooses number 24, one more than MJ's number. So to me, again, that in addition to feeling he could have won 12 rings two times with MJ won, that has a lot to do with MJ and I think a little bit less to do with Shaq. And maybe he's right. Maybe if Shaq did have Kobe's really legendary sort of sick obsession with the game, then maybe they would have won probably not 12, but maybe at least, I don't know, six or seven together because they were such unstoppable forces and you had a great coach in Phil Jackson or who people believe was a great coach. So perhaps he's right. But either way, I wish he would have been a lot more selfish about what he said. Well, sorry, a lot more honest. Yeah, be selfish and honest about what he said and just own up to the fact that there may not be beef between you and Shaq, but what you said, you know, was pretty disrespectful in the sense of that's a shot at Shaq's legacy in terms of a player as great as he was saying if he would have worked hard and wouldn't have been a lazy ass that maybe he could have won more championships. But one of the things on the Half a Bird Sports Show that we are never, ever lazy about is the news and now jimmy has the news thank you wendy so former nba all-star and reigning big three mvp joe johnson is in philadelphia he was yesterday preparing for a workout today with the 76ers uh johnson age 38 is also receiving interest for potential workouts from the la clippers the milwaukee bucks the denver nuggets and the new orleans pelicans uh, I really do like this because, you know, it's kind of the big three, the big three league working in reverse order because it's supposed to be a league that captures those NBA players who teams won't have on their roster, who may be too old to play for the NBA and keep up with the young guys, but still have a lot of basketball left in them and still a lot of what their basketball ability was when they were younger. But to, revert, to work in reverse order in the sense of going to the big three, then doing well there, being the MVP, and then going back to the NBA, you know, for some of our favorite players, especially coming in the future, um, as more players that we love and that, grew, that we grew up with retire, you know, like a Vince Carter, can make their way in the big three, really show out, and then come back to the NBA for another one to two seasons. And I think that makes for a really good story. And I think the fans win, you know, especially if this is one of your players who's able to make his way back just when you thought their career in the NBA might have been over. Uh, another thing, too, and we all talked about we talked about this on Monday's show with Andrew Luck, the great quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts, choosing to retire. Uh, well, they've got somebody in in order to help booster 
the quarterback position, and that is none other than Brock Osweiler, who had a visit with the team on Tuesday. Uh, the Colts also worked out quarterbacks Matt Castle and Brandon Wheaton to potentially back up now starting quarterback Jacoby Brissett with the Indianapolis Colts. Um, you know, Brock, he's one of those guys, kind of like Ryan Tannehill or Blake Bortles. Now, he's always going to be able to find a job because he has proved at times in his NFL career that he's shown flashes of being able to manage a game, flashes of being able to be a decent quarterback if you just have to go to him. So I could definitely see them, especially if he is younger than Matt Castle, which I believe he is. God, Castle's old. And younger than Brandon Wheaton, which I think he is because Brandon Wheaton came into college as a 38-year-old for Oklahoma State. So he's probably about 58 right now. So Oswald is probably younger than both of them. So they probably will end up signing Brock Lobster. And the hope is that he never sees the field because when he does, he'll be good a little bit. But when he is bad, he is nearly Nathan Peterman bad. And nobody in Indianapolis with the pain that they're going through from Andrew Luck retiring wants to see that. And lastly, you guys might have saw this about a week ago, about a couple of weeks ago, actually. Uh, Carly Lloyd, who I believe plays for the U.S. Women's National Team, uh, was on the field at the Philadelphia Eagles-Baltimore Ravens practice last week. And she generated a lot of buzz by kicking multiple 55-yard field goals. And she has said since then she has been receiving and is mulling multiple offers from NFL teams to explore their kicking position, one of which has to be the Chicago Bears and their sort of comedic, horrific uh, situation in terms of their kicker, beginning with Cody Parkey, who essentially lost the playoff game for them last season. Um, so I know Carly is mulling NFL offers. She's also said that she's thinking about um, if she is going to make a debut in the NFL, it being in 2020, not anytime soon. Um, my advice to her is do not go into the NFL. Do not accept this position. Yes, it would be groundbreaking. It would be awesome and interesting to see. But eventually, one of those players, as happens just to just about every kicker, is going to come around the edge or leap over the line. And they're going to plow into you, just one of those psychopaths on special teams who doesn't hardly see the field and want to show out. And I'm sorry, but you're going to get hurt. So I don't want to see that. Nobody wants to see that. Your significant other doesn't want to see that. So, yes, spend this season thinking about reasons why you should not do this because it, it just would not be – I don't think that would be the right thing to do, and I would fear for your safety. And eventually something bad like that would happen that we would all have to end up watching on television, and I want to save you from that. I want to save you from yourself. That's part of what we do on the show. So think about it. It's fun. It's interesting, but do not do it. And with that – Jimmy with the news. Thank you, Bob. So as customary, uh, really over the last probably five weeks, we always go to Cowboy Land to give you the latest in what is going on with the contract situations. Not so much with Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper, but with Ezekiel Elliott. So as always, as typical, two to three times throughout the week, we get the latest info, the latest soundbite from Cowboys owner and general manager Jerry Jones. So this week, the story from Jerry Jones was that in terms of where the organization is with the Zeke Elliott holdout and with the contract dispute is that uh, 
He likes to say that deadlines make deals, but when it comes to Ezekiel Elliott, he does not see the approaching September 8th regular season opener as a deadline, meaning that they're willing to go into the season uh, without him, without having given him the contract that he wants. So speaking of 105.3, the fan there in Dallas, Jerry said we have to be prepared to play without any given player. We may very well play without a player that's not coming in on his contract. We will play, and we will play well. He goes on to say, we've got a marathon here. We want Zeke when we get to the playoffs. We want Zeke when we're in the dog days of this season. A fresh Zeke, if we got to the end, would be great. So obviously what this is telling you is that he's hedging. In a sense, he's already telling you that Zeke is going to be expected to miss some games. Now we got about... mm, with 10 days before the Cowboys season opener that Sunday against the New York Giants. So they still have time to work out the contract dispute, but most likely he's going to miss games because Dallas, you know, these over these last five weeks have pretty much planted themselves in the cement that they're not going to make him the highest paid running back in football with a contract surpassing that of Todd Gurley's. And Zeke has already planted his feet in the, the sands of Cabo St. Lucas that he is not going to take a contract unless it does reset the market, unless it is the richest contract in the history of the NFL, surpassing that of Todd Gurley in the full amount of money and in the guaranteed money. So they're at an impasse. So he's going to miss some games. They know it. He knows it. And part of what I think gives Dallas not so much leverage, but what gives them, what makes them more intrigued about not having Zeke is they really want to test just how good this offensive line is because this offensive line has helped to produce fantastic seasons, not just for Ezekiel Elliott, but for DeMarco Murray behind him and Tony Pollard, rookie out of Memphis, has to look good in the preseason. So Dallas wants to test that O-line to see if it's more about that O-line or more about Zeke. So if Pollard gets in there in game one against the Giants, and let's say he starts the first two to three games of the season and he looks good and they go 3-0 and or let's say 2-1, and then they probably are going to be even more comfortable without having Zeke there. Yes, we all know that Zeke is a superior running back to Tony Pollard. We already know that because Zeke is fantastic. Not so much running, not so much breaking tackles, but his ability to not only pick up the blitz from the running back position and hold a lineman long enough for Dak to escape the pocket or get rid of the football is second to none. He came in as a rookie, probably the best pass-protecting running back in the NFL. So that's something you can't, you know, you can't undermine that because that could be the difference between getting your quarterback killed and injured and on IR for the rest of the season or keeping him on his feet. But still, Dallas wants to test that offensive line. Travis Frederick, Zach Martin, Lyle Collins, and the great, great Tyron Smith left tackle. Um, so that's why they stand to be pretty comfortable with this playing out into the season. Um, so they may actually be for real. And I'm really surprised and I'm really actually happy that Dallas is sticking to their guns and not budging on the demands of Ezekiel Elliott. But with with Jerry's comments in the sense saying that they would be okay if they had a fresh Zeke, if he came back towards the end of the season, if he came back for the playoffs, if I'm Zeke, it's almost like, why would I want to come back for the playoffs? Why would I want to come back and save you if you even make it to the playoffs? Because if you get there, you're not going to win a championship with Tony Pollard. You need me to do that. You're not going to get past the Saints. You're not going to get past the Philadelphia Eagles. You're not going to get past the Rams. Probably not even going to get past the Vikings without me. You need me in the playoffs. So why would he let them, in a sense, disrespect him throughout the regular season by not giving the con- giving him the contract he believes he deserves, then comes in- comes into the playoffs, and then he saves them? So I don't see him doing that. So for me, for Zeke, it's kind of like with Le'Veon Bell. 
you know, you either pay me, give me the money that I feel I deserve in the regular season, or we'll just have these discussions after the season, which again would be problematic for Zeke, and this diminishes his leverage because he needs to sh- to report in order to get a year of service, or else he'll pretty much be in the exact same situation next year. Two years left on his contract, and the team have the ability to franchise tag him three times. So again, I say this week in and week out, whether it's on my solo show or whether it's when Jay and I do the show together, that this just gets more and more interesting with the Dallas Cowboys. And again, what they do here, what Zeke does here, and how this turns out is probably going to change the way these contracts get negotiated. Because in some ways, Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys, they do sort of set the market. They do sort of set the edge for how similar things such as those situations end up getting handled after them. But either way... I'm really interested to see what Tony Pollard looks like in the regular season behind this offensive line that's now fully healthy with Travis Frederick back. So we'll see how they look. We'll see what they end up doing. So up next, (laughs) oh, man, Lonzo Ball. We haven't heard from him in quite a while. You know, the Los Angeles Lakers this season, they have – you know, done just about everything that they've wanted to do, you know, to be honest with you. You know, you get Anthony Davis, um, you know, which that fiasco that was their attempts to get him in February have, in a sense, paid off because finally you get your guy. So they get him and you build around he and LeBron. Uh, Kyle Kuzma definitely stays on the roster. He's a very worthy uh, three. I think he's going to do really, really good this year. We'll get more into that on our NBA preview show the closer we get to the season. Yeah, uh, Danny Green, sharpshooting three and D guy. Bring back Rondo. Bring back McGee. You had Cousins. He hurts himself, and then he gets into even deeper legal trouble. I won't get into that today. Maybe next time. And uh, you get Dwight Howard and several other pieces. Frank Vogel, who I think is a good coach. You bring in Jason Kidd. So the Lakers did just about everything they wanted to do this summer. And very few people have been critical of them. But one person who has come out as being critical of them and thinks that they made some mistakes is none other than Lonzo Ball, former Laker, who spent his first two seasons in the league there. Uh, Lonzo, in customary millennial fashion, released somewhat of at least what's being called a diss track uh, in regards to the Lakers and probably several other things. I haven't heard the track. I've just read a few of the lyrics as it pertains to what I'm talking about. Um, the title is called Last Days. By Lonzo Ball. So if you want to look that up, listen to that track, feel free. Of the Lakers, he says this. He says, you know I'm all about business. L.A. is going to regret their decision. Straight to the money. You know how we get it. We count up the cash and we add up the digits. So he's one of the few who have said that they made a mistake by trading him. And, of course, he was included in that package to New Orleans for Anthony Davis with Brandon Ingram and Josh Hart. I'm trying to find reasons why the Lakers would regret this. I really can't think of any because you're, you have gotten rid of a 31.5% three-point shooter, which is not that good in today's NBA when so many people can shoot, shoot threes and shoot a better percentage than that. Someone who shot 43.7% from the, three, from the free throw line, someone who was often injured, who showed flashes, who was uh, you know good in transition, good passer, pretty good defender, but someone who just didn't quite work out. In addition to having, you know, a father who we all know, LeVar, who would often cause kind of problems here and there, a little negative press off the court. And they expected that when they drafted Lonzo Ball with him coming into the league. So I can't think of very much that there is to regret because you're going to let LeBron James run the point. You built a much better team now than you had before. 
So I don't understand what they're going to regret because they have guys on the court that can push the ball. Like Quinn Cook, to me, one of the most underrated signings that they had from Golden State. I love Quinn Cook. I mean, he's going to be really good for them. That was a steal. I cannot believe more teams didn't go after him harder than what they did. Uh, so I don't think that they're going to regret that. I don't think that they're going to miss him. And um, he needs to focus on, in a sense, rebuilding his, I guess, his brand. Because, you know, the big baller brand has had those problems off, you know, off the court as well in the sense of, you know, claims of fraud by one of their business partners who they helped start big baller brand with. And, you know, now they're selling like T-shirts for five bucks and shoes you can get on discount for like 50 bucks. Shoes that used to cost $400 for whatever reason when they first came out. So, I mean, he's got a lot of other things to worry about than saying the Lakers will regret their decision. But I like his moxie in saying that because if they did, first thing I want you to do, I don't care about your points, your rebounds, your assists, your steals, or anything like that. I want you to play at least 75 games this season because if you prove to be brittle once again and miss half the season once again this year, then you just embarrass yourself by saying the Los Angeles Lakers, that franchise and that brand is going to miss you because you already have shown to them in these first two seasons that you really weren't that important because as we all say, what's the cliche now? The best ability is availability. and You weren't as available as you needed to be, so you need to focus on staying healthy, on building a good rapport with the star of that franchise, Zion Williamson, with their elder statesman, uh, Drew Holiday, and several of the other players on that team because you have a chance to push for a playoff spot. They're a good, solid team. So if they play hard for Alvin Gentry, you can really have something, not this year, but maybe the next year or the year after that. So focus on that instead of going at the Lakers because that Lakers brand, you know, like you're so insignificant to them. You're not going to get a response from anybody, not even Kyle Kuzma, with whom you exchanged diss tracks with last summer, which is also one of the stupidest things you did for you and Kyle both. So that's that. Now, in our last show, moving on from Lonzo, in our last show, I had talked about, we did our sort of, you know, college football preview. We talked about who we felt like the top four teams were going to be. So in discussing that, I mentioned, and I kind of went a bit off the grid. They're just going to have some fun with it. So my top four included uh, Auburn, Notre Dame, Michigan, and uh, I believe Clemson. And you will notice that I did not choose Alabama as one of my top four teams. Now, obviously, that could be completely wrong because this is the Alabama machine, the Saban machine that we're talking about, the mortal engine himself. So they could easily get to the college football playoff because it's designed that way. It's set up that way. You know, the ratings are good. They have great players, and they constantly produce NFL players each year. So that could go. But it doesn't help when you lose a player the caliber of Dylan Moses, who is supposed to be the leader of their defense, uh, their star linebacker, uh, he is going to be out for the season due to a knee injury that he suffered in practice uh, Tuesday of this week. He's their defensive signal caller. He's their coach. He's their quarterback on the field for that defense. So he's going to be out indefinitely. And when you couple that with another injury that they suffered in the offseason that a lot of people really may not even know about, and that is their top running back recruit, uh, the number one running back out of the class of 2019, who is going to start for them, uh, Trey Sanders was also lost for the season. This was a few weeks ago due to a foot injury, a significant foot injury, as a matter of fact. And when you add all this up, when you add up losing your quarterback, your defensive signal caller, and you lose your best running back, and Tua Tagovailoa, more on him a little bit later, who has been as injury prone as he has been, to me it just adds up to them taking a loss, or maybe even two losses, 
which I don't think has happened before the postseason in a long time, um, and that being the thing that ultimately knocks them out of a college football playoff spot. Because you still have Georgia, who's going to be a really good team. You still have LSU, who's going to produce a really good team as well. So they're going to have to battle with you know with some of them, with them, with both of them, in order to try to get back to the college football playoff. And then if you do that, you most likely will have Clemson waiting there for you, who beat the hell out of you in the championship game or whoever else has proven to be better or much better this season. Maybe the OU Sooners get their defense together to be just a little bit better, to be at least middle of the pack, and that offense is still smoking, and then you gotta, you got to mess with them in the college football playoffs. So either way, it's not going to be an easy road for Alabama, especially with their coaching turnover that they constantly have every season to where their coaches are always moving on to different jobs. And then that causes changes in the schemes, changes in the rapport with the players that they have. So that's a pretty difficult situation to, to walk into as opposed to Clemson, who just finds a way to keep their coaches because they love coaching with Dabo Sweeney and they love those players. So they just end up staying. So Alabama's going to have some problems. So they have to keep Tua Tagovailoa safe. They have to keep him healthy. And I don't think they will. I think that he is going to continue to get nicked up this season. And I think that ultimately they're going to suffer a couple of losses because of that. So losing Dylan Moses does not help at all. And lastly, <laughs> for this segment, um, and this was kind of funny, you know, the Houston Texans, they've had kind of a rough couple of weeks. You know, you I believe they were a playoff team last season. You really good offense. Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins, all world, great players. And, you know, Deshaun Watson, I don't know how he did it. I mean, he is much tougher than people think because I believe I saw a stat where he was sacked 62 times last season, meaning that the Texans have one of the, I guess, one of the poor offensive lines. We'll say they're not as good as probably at least half of the offensive lines in football. But Watson, in order to make a play, does have a tendency to hold the ball a lot longer than he should, and that just leads to a lot of sacks. But a lot of that is on the offensive line. So you deal with that. And you don't do, you don't really make any big time moves to address your offensive line, and you just decide to go into this season and see what happens. And you lose your starting running back Lamar Miller this past Saturday in a stupid, meaningless preseason game that, as a starter, he should not have been in. Lost for the season, torn ACL, um, gruesome injury. He's done. And now you have this issue with Jadavion Clowney. He's their other defensive end, opposite of J.J. Watt, who's a uh, really good, you know, highly talented out of high school. Uh, very good player at South Carolina and comes into the NFL. Took him a couple of years to really get going, but he's emerged as one of the better defensive ends. He had about, I think, 10 sacks last season. And he's looking for a new contract with the Houston Texans, and, you know, rightfully so. He feels like he has outplayed his contract, a la Melvin Gordon and Ezekiel Elliott. So if he feels like he wants more money, he should hold out. That's what I think. And it just kind of depends on how the Houston Texans feel about him. So I read a story, and this is just poor timing and just – just choosing not to move in silence like these organizations need to for reasons such as this. So apparently what was going to happen is that Jadavion Clowney was going to come and play for the Houston Texans under the franchise tag. After all, he had decided to end his holdout, sign his franchise tender, which probably would have paid him anywhere from 13 to $15 million uh, this year. But that went sideways once Clowney heard that he had been shopped around in a trade. So NFL Network's Ian Rappaport reported that Clowney was ready to join the team, but then he didn't once he found out they were trying to trade him. So if that's accurate, that is quite the horrific misstep for the Houston front office because now he probably won't play for you at all no matter what, no matter what you offer him because people like to feel wanted. These players, they like to feel trusted. They like to feel you really believe in them. 
And if you put them in trade negotiations in a way, in the spirit of trading somebody, you've already you've already traded them. You really have. So now that he has found out about this and he has refused to continue his holdout instead of signing the franchise tender, which would have definitely helped your defense, especially now that the division is there for the taking with Andrew Luck retiring, then now, you know, without him, especially if you have to trade him, and I don't care what you trade him for unless it's for another stud defensive end, you don't have a chance to win that division because I'll give you a bit of a preview. The team who's going to win that division is the Jacksonville Jaguars because I think their defense is is back and they definitely got their head rights now that they got kicked in the mouth multiple times last season when they were supposed to be the best defensive football. I think Nick Foles is going to stabilize that position, probably be the best quarterback they've had on that roster since Mark Brunel. I think that Leonard Fournette is back focused in shape. Leonard Fournette's weird. He's good every other year. He's he's really good one year. He sucks the next year, either because of off-the-field issues or because of injuries, and then he's good the next year. So this is the year he's going to be good. And Nick Foles has quite the rapport with D.D. Westbrook of that receiving court, who was a star wide receiver at the University of Oklahoma. So that team's going to be better. They're going to be more focused, and they're going to win that division because Houston, with the division there for the taking, is having issues such as this to where you can't even, you can't even get this right with a player like Jadavion Clowney with, <laughs> without letting him find out, him of all people, find out that you are shopping him. So with these kind of distractions, with the kind of injuries you had to Lamar Miller, and with the fact that Deshaun Watson is probably going to be injured this year if your offensive line continues to play the way that it did last season, you have just crapped the bed. You've probably cost yourself a head coach because Bill O'Brien is probably going to take the fall for all of this when you don't make the playoffs, and he's going to get fired. You're going to be back to square one next season, and then probably a lot of those players are going to end up leaving anyway, trade it, cut, whatever. So they have created a huge misstep for themselves. And this is just the kind of thing, this is the kind of thing that holds organizations back who have the opportunity to really do something good, to really do something great in the playoffs. Because these are the kind of things that organizations like the New England Patriots and by and large the Pittsburgh Steelers, organizations like that who have five and six, actually who have six Super Bowls, you know, between them respectively, these are the kind of things that they don't allow to happen. So they gotta pay for it one way or another because these types of things do affect a football team. So, again, uh, start of college football this weekend. So I'm going to be bringing back a segment that I originated, a segment that I do better than anybody, and that is the Heisman Watch. So for some of our listeners who aren't familiar with the Heisman Watch, I did it a few times last season. I I just wasn't as into it last year, but I'm back. I'm really into it. We got some great college players who I'm going to be paying attention to all season long. So what I try to do is I try to predict the three players who uh, are going to go to New York for the Heisman ceremony. And I'll rank them in order of who I think uh, is going to be the top. Right now has sort of the edge, the top spot in the Heisman watch. So I'm going to give you the top three Heisman candidates right now. This is before the season, as you know, with an honorable mention. So bringing it back, back better than ever. This is the Heisman watch. Up first, uh, I'm going to start with the honorable mention before I go into the top three. So coming in at number four, the Heisman watch is Wisconsin running back Jonathan Taylor. Uh, He is definitely the best running back in college football. As a freshman in 2017, he rushed for 1,977 yards, 13 touchdowns, and then followed up that effort last year in 2018 with 2,194 yards and 16 touchdowns. Uh, He and the Wisconsin Badgers opened up the season this weekend against the University of South Florida. 
uh, like I said, fantastic running back, not as good of a pass catcher. If he's a better pass catcher this season, that will help to elevate his Heisman stock. But for right now, he's sniffing around. He's there on the edge. Uh, it's going to matter how he begins this season, but he comes in at number four. Number three, we have Tua Tagovailoa, the quarterback for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Um, the knock on him, as I've mentioned before in the previous segment, was that he is injury prone. Um, the last time we saw him, he was beaten to death along with the rest of the Alabama Crimson Tide in the national championship game against the Clemson Tigers. Uh, but last season, he did have a really good season, threw for nearly 4,000 yards, had 43 touchdowns and six interceptions, which are fantastic numbers. But like I said, I think he's going to suffer some injuries that are going to force him to miss at least one to two games, and that's going to hurt his draft, draft stock, his uh, Heisman stock, maybe even his draft stock. Because when he gets hurt, those weeks that he's not playing, other guys are going to get elevated. I hope this doesn't happen, but I just don't trust his injury history, so he's coming in at number three. Number two, you have Jalen Hurts of the University of Oklahoma, formerly of the University of Alabama. Uh, he is now at what can be known as quarterback U. Since the Oklahoma uh, Sooners have produced the last two Heisman Trophy winners in Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield, so he steps into that system, into that offense, onto that field. Um, great home field advantage, uh, air raid type of conference. So he'll be able to put up some fantastic numbers. Um, Jay and I talked about him on the last show in terms of the type of runner that he is. He maybe isn't as fast as a Kyler Murray, but he's bigger, he's stronger. He's had to be, as Jay said, because he played in the SEC. So he'll be able to just sort of bounce off of a lot of those smaller defensive players. Also, as Jay said, in the Big 12. So I think that he's in the right spot, and he knows that this is his last opportunity. This is his last sort of dress rehearsal this entire season in order to up his draft stock for the NFL. So he's in the right spot. He's at quarterback U before he's coming in at number two. And coming in at number one, Heisman watch should be obvious, and that is Trevor Lawrence. All eyes are on the reigning champ who beat the Alabama Crimson Tide 44-16 as a true freshman. He is the best college quarterback I have ever seen um, as a freshman. And I think he got in there for Kelly Bryant, I think three or four games in. But he finished the season with 30 touchdowns and four picks. Uh, right now, he's the darling. Right now, he is the narrative when it comes to the best player in college football and the Heisman Trophy. So it's his to lose. So even if his team does suffer a loss, it won't be a bad loss because he just doesn't make those kind of mistakes. He's going to put up great numbers this season with that running back behind him, Travis Etienne with that star wide receiver that he has who really blossomed in that national championship game. So this is his to lose. They don't really have a tough schedule in the ACC, Clemson. So they are primed, even if they do have one loss, to make it back to the college football playoff. And Trevor Lawrence, I mean, he's everybody's golden boy. He's the quarterback we've all been waiting for, the true prototype, like he was producing a computer. So Trevor Lawrence is that guy coming in this week at number one on the Heisman Watch. So that was fun. Great way to end the show. Uh, we appreciate appreciate you listening. Half a bird sports show. Uh, I want to give a shout out to my mother who's been listening to the show a lot lately. Uh, it has also helped me to uh, clean up my language and not use words that she taught me not to use. So, Mom, I appreciate the support. I love you to death. I am what I am because of you. So thank you for listening to the show and supporting Jay and I as we have fun. You know, we hope you have fun too listening to the show. We hope you receive entertainment and insight and that you're getting excited, just as excited as sports nuts like we are going into the college football season and into the NFL season, the start of the NFL next year. So to Mike, Bob, and Wendy, the whole production team, we appreciate it. Uh, to my co-host, Jay, 
Uh, appreciate the support as well. Look forward to doing the next show with you. Uh, to my nephew, Tarot, to Florence Nightingale, to Leslie, uh, to everybody in the Flea Flicker League that I'm part of the $50 League. I'm um, looking forward to this season. It's a great league, fun league, very competitive. Appreciate y'all and y'all's support. Um, and this has been, you know, the Half a Bird Sports Show. So like I always say, uh, love somebody, love yourself, be safe out there. Half a Bird Sports Show. Peace. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.